Uh, even though Pastor Dick was so wanting to cut into my sermon time a little bit, uh, one of the advantages of having a together at 10 service is that uh, there's no second service that we have to uh, get to. So. Oh, there is lunch, though. That's true. That's true. Hey, if you are visiting with us this morning, a special welcome to you. We would love to have a chance to get to know you better. Uh, one of the ways you could do that is uh, to help us do that is to hang out at, for lunch today, and we'd love to treat you to lunch and find out a little bit more about who you are. Another way you can help us is uh, fill out one of these Connect cards that's in the seat back in front of you. If you'd be willing to turn that in uh, at the Welcome Center or hand it to me or Pastor Dick or one of the faces you see on the platform, we'd love to welcome you personally. We have a small gift to give you just as our way of saying thank you for coming out to church today. Uh, but most importantly, we'd love to just be able to meet you in person and say hi. Uh, we are in a series on the Psalms. Uh, we're walking through just a few of our favorite psalms, or my favorite psalms, uh, as a way of introducing us to the psalms uh, for this summer season. Uh, we're looking at it as kind of a way of uh, encouraging us to consider the possibility that maybe this summer, if you have a little extra time on vacation uh, or uh, during the afternoons when it's uh, staying light longer, you might want to be reading uh, through the Psalms a little bit as a way of connecting with God and engaging with Him in some new and powerful ways. Uh, here at Faith Covenant, we've been talking more recently about how important, in fact, how essential it is for us to stay connected to Jesus, the true vine, in order for us to experience his strength and his power and his wisdom in our lives, to truly experience the abundant life that he came to give us, which is really a fruitful life overflowing with the power of his spirit. Uh, so if you would be interested in prayerfully reading through the Psalms, this is a great way to connect with God and find our ways, find ways to connect with Jesus in an ongoing and life-giving way. I believe that God wants to amaze us with who he is. And if we are faithful to connect with him through his word, I believe that he will show up and maybe surprise us in some fresh and new ways with how much he loves us, how deeply he cares for us, and how much he wants to continue to surprisingly amaze us with who he is in our lives. So in that spirit, would you pray with me as we take time to look into his word? Holy God, we do thank you that you are a God who loves us. You are the God who has saved us. And on this week where we celebrate the freedom of independence in our country and the freedom to worship you and the freedom uh, to pursue the life that you've given us, we ask for your mercy and grace in our lives. Would you speak to us through your word? Would you protect us with your grace and your, uh, your mercy? And God, would you continue to bless our country? Preserve the freedoms that we have and give us insight and wisdom how to love one another well. Be with our leaders and our politicians and in the season where it's so hard to even listen to one another, God, would you give us wisdom and grace for one another to be able to work together to find a better future for your people in this land and around the world. Help us to be a part of the solution to the problems that we face as you have been our solution to our deepest problems and our greatest ills. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Last week, uh, our own pastor emeritus, Steve Starr, uh, continued our series. He, he read two verses of a psalm, but, but then kind of walked us through uh, a similar encouragement that we saw in Psalm 1, which really is an introduction to all of the psalms, uh, that there are really two paths 
that we can walk down. One, we can follow God or we can follow the gods of this world. And and as he walked us through the story of the people of Israel, as they entered into the promised land, uh, we were able to see that sometimes God wanted his people to, to take a time out to pause and reflect on on the choices that they've made and the direction that they're going to reset and get themselves back on the right path with God. And I'd like to suggest for us that if you are perhaps in need of a timeout in your spiritual walk this morning, if, if we are in need of a timeout as people, maybe intentionally engaging with the Psalms by prayerfully reading through them this summer is a way that we can take some time away from the busyness of our lives and allow the Spirit of God to redirect our hearts and our minds to the right path that He would have for us to walk. To this end, uh, the Psalms are an important and helpful resource in engaging God in the midst of real life, right? The Psalms are honest. They're often raw and gritty. They don't pull any punches. They engage us in our humanity and give voice to our honest human experience. They invite us to understand our experience more deeply and to engage with God in the midst of life's challenges and difficulties, and perhaps even especially when life gets challenging and difficult. Another one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 22. Rather than beginning, though, with a word of encouragement, it actually begins with a word of pain and lament. If you'd like to follow along in your Bible, we'll be in Psalm 22. We'll have portions of the text on the screen for you to follow along as well. The psalmist starts off in verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? You see, right off the bat in verse 1, the psalmist feels abandoned by God. How many of you have ever felt like God was not near (laughs) Yeah? Nobody? (laughs) God sometimes is not accessible. He's hard to see. He's hard to identify. We can be believing and have all the faith in the world, and sometimes we just wonder, where, where is God? We're longing for an experience of his power and his presence in our lives, but he seems distant and absent. Even though he continues to cry out to God, God isn't answering him. God is silent. In verse 2, he continues, My God, I cry out to you by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. God is not near to David. God is not hearing his cries and his prayers. Or if he is hearing, he's choosing not to answer. And the underlying question that he begins with here is why? Why God? Why are you so far from saving me? Why are you not responding to my cries for help? Isn't that what you're supposed to do? When when I call, you come? Spiritual pilgrims to the centuries have talked about this kind of an experience in our lives that they suggest all of us at some point will experience one way or another. They call it the dark night of the soul. The dark night of the soul. It's, it's a point that we reach in our faith journey where uh, seemingly at, at no fault of our own, there, there's no moral failure. There's, we haven't turned our back on God. In fact, we're, we're intentionally wanting to engage God and we need God. And yet God just doesn't seem to be able to be found anywhere. It becomes a time where we begin to, to question our faith. Does, does the God that I trust really uh, believe in me? 
Uh, does God really care about what I'm experiencing? Does he have my best interests at heart? And when I don't see him and I can't hear him and I go to the Bible and it just feels dry, it, 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 where do I go, God? These are seasons in life when apparently, as, as I said, through no fault of our own, God just seems to go silent. And sometimes it happens when we feel like we need him the most. So why? What is going on? Well, in verse 3, there's a very important word that the psalmist uses several times in Psalm 22. In verse 3, he says, yet. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted, and you have delivered him. When I find myself in such circumstances, it forces me to ask the question, what is my faith based on? See, Psalm 22 is reminding me that, that my faith should be based on who I know God to be, not on my personal experience of God in the moment. And there's a big difference there. You see, it's based on his track record and his history in my life and in the lives of his people. That's why understanding the story of God in the Bible is so important to give us that foundation of faith because when life gets difficult and the storms of life come, it becomes so easy for us to doubt God and we need to go back and be reminded of the faithfulness of God through the centuries and through our own lives. See, therefore, even though I don't feel God in the moment, yet I can choose to believe God for this moment. And by faith, I can continue to trust in God and to praise him for both now and in the future. Sometimes we don't know why God seems to be absent and silent in our lives. And yet, David says, we can still put our faith in who he has demonstrated himself to be rather than our own emotions and our own present circumstances. In verses 6 through 21, which we're not going to have time to read the whole psalm today, but he continues to go on and talk about how in his own life experience, he has all these people who are attacking him and against him. And so not only is God not present, but, but the world seems to be against him. He talks about these people as if they're bulls and lions and dogs that are attacking him verbally and physically. And as a result, he's beginning to, to feel reduced and degraded in his life. He, he begins to feel less than human, dehumanized. And so in verse 6, he says, I am a worm and not a man. See, we sometimes face external opposition too, right? We can feel like uh, our friends who we thought were close have betrayed us. The, the very ones that we put our trust in have turned their back on us. Our coworkers who we thought were part of our team are no longer with us. And when we can find ourselves with people actually uh, maligning us verbally and speaking lies about us, and so we feel betrayed and put upon by the world around us. And in such circumstances, we especially need to be going to God's word to remind us of who we are, but more importantly, who God is in our lives. See, that's why Psalm 1 encourages, encourages us to be consistently meditating on God's word day and night. It's a tool that we bring with us into life. It's not something we, we read and put on the shelf and forget. We, we memorize it, we learn it, we remember it, and we recall it in those moments when we need encouragement and help. When life gets tough, there's a place of help and hope and rescue in the words of God's story in the Bible. I'd like to suggest for us this morning that there's another aspect of opposition that we see going on in the psalm here as well, though. Not only do we sometimes face external opposition, but, but do you ever feel like you face a little internal 
opposition? Let me explain what I mean. Isn't it true that sometimes we are our own worst critics? Do you ever have that little voice inside your head that says, oh, I'm just a worm. I'm not a human being. I'm lower than the low. I should just go dig a hole and die. I'm a worthless piece of garbage. See, we beat ourselves up and we, we talk ourselves down and sometimes we don't even say it out loud. It's just this voice that, that's going on in the back of our minds and counselors call this self-talk, right? Self-talk is that internal dialogue. It's that it's always going on in our own head and if we're not paying attention to it, we can realize that we've become our own worst enemy and the kinds of things that we're saying to ourselves and about ourselves become so unhealthy and unbiblical that, that, that we are just doing ourselves in from the beginning. See, that's also why we need to be intentional about being in God's word, because we need God's word to bring a correction to our own self-talk, to our own inner voice of criticism that tells us that we're not lovable, we're not worthwhile, we don't have what it takes, because God's word says just the opposite. God created you just the way you are. God loves you right where you're at, and God wants nothing more than to amaze you with his mercy and his grace in your life, and to see you grow in his love. That's who the Bible tells us we are, and we need to be reminded of that when our own internal opposition kicks in. See, in, in verse 9, we see another yet. He, he says, I'm a worm in, in verse 6, but then in verse 9, he says, yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast on you, and my mother, from my mother's womb, you have been my God. See, our faith and our trust in God cannot be based on our present circumstances, but rather it has to be based on God's faithfulness, which he's demonstrated throughout our lives and the lives of his people, even recognizing that the very gift of life itself has come from God to us. The fact that we are here and we are alive should tell us that our creator loves us and cares about us, and he has been our God from the moment that we were conceived. Whether we realized it at the moment or not, God's word helps us to understand that God has been our God from the very beginning. See, the Psalms recognize life isn't easy. And, and sometimes the life is more than not easy, it's just downright painful. And this world doesn't always work in our favor. And it's often other people, sometimes even those closest to us, that become our, our greatest opposition. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we can even become our own worst critics. And yet in verses 12 through 21, the psalmist talks about these enemies of, as bulls and lions and dogs. And, and, and I, I want to spend time to read these verses because as we read them, we, we begin to see a significant connection to another famous character in the Bible named Jesus. Verse 16, he says, dogs surround me and a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display, and people stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Does that begin to sound like another story we've heard about later in the Bible? But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. See, we can see here a strong resemblance to Jesus' experience on the cross, right? 
His hands and feet were pierced. They they cast lots for his, his clothing. Hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, we begin to see this prophetic voice of Scripture being able to, to foreshadow what Jesus was about to go through for you and for me on our behalf. In the New Testament, we see that Psalm 22 is referenced a number of times, but none more significant than being quoted by Jesus himself. Do you guys remember where Jesus quoted Psalm 22? While he's hanging on the cross, right? He's been bloodied and beaten. He's been bruised and he's been pierced and he's hanging on the cross. And his disciples who were brave enough to stay with him to this point are watching him slowly die this painful death. And we hear him cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Only he does it in Aramaic, right? Mark tells us in chapter 15, he says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is the Uh, Aramaic version of the same phrase. See, Jesus hanging on the cross is crying out. Now, when I was a kid and and I read this story in Mark, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, how could God turn his back on Jesus? If Jesus was really God's son that he loved so much, how come he had to, he had to forsake him on the cross? And there's all these kind of theological theories that in order to satisfy God's wrath, God had to reject his son, Jesus, and turn it. That's not what's going on. Think about it. He's quoting Psalm 22. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and his concern isn't for himself. It's for his disciples who are wondering, how could God allow the Messiah to be crucified? Where is God in this moment? How can we continue to have faith when this man who we've put our trust in is now being executed as a criminal? And so Jesus, hanging on the cross, is saying, Psalm 22, Psalm 22, Psalm 22, because any good Israelite would have known that those phrases began this psalm that is ultimately a psalm of hope and redemption, even when we feel like the entire world is against us. Even though it may seem that God had abandoned Jesus, he wants his disciples to continue to have faith in the God that he introduced them to, to trust that God was good, even though it doesn't seem that way at the moment. Even though Jesus experienced the words of Psalm 22 more directly than most of us probably ever will, Jesus was directing his disciples to this psalm in order to give them hope and to give them faith even in the midst of their darkest hour. I'd like to suggest that if you read through towards the end of the psalm, the the yet of the psalmist continues even though he doesn't say it. In verse 22, he says, Yet I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. In in verse 25, he says, From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. See, the hope is that this moment in life, even though it seems dark and it's painful and it's hurting, in faith, I will praise you again one day. I know that this isn't the last word because I know who you are, God, and I know who you've made me to be, and I put my trust in the God of Jesus who didn't abandon his son to to death, but he raised him to newness of life. And because Jesus is alive today, we can have that same hope that no matter how dark our hour becomes, someday God can rescue and redeem and resurrect our lives as well. Amen? 
Again, if you take time to read this psalm this week, you'll see that it goes through in the end and it begins to make even more prophetic statements about this good news, this gospel message that Jesus came to announce that was already present here in Psalm 22. In verse 26, the poor will eat and be satisfied. 27, all the ends of the earth will turn to the Lord. Verse 29, all the rich of the earth will join in the feast and worship God with all those who go down to kneel in the dust. Future generations will be told about the Lord, and they will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. Is that not good news? Is that not the gospel message? See, in the final statement that the psalmist ends with is an ultimate declaration of faith. He says, for he has done it. For he has done it. Does that also remind you of Jesus' statement on the cross? Jesus' version was, it is finished. And if you, if you unpack that word, Jesus doesn't mean it's over. It means it's, it's fulfilled. It is completed. It has been accomplished. God has done what he said he was going to do. He sent the Savior to, to give his life as a ransom for many. And because of the death of one man, the life of the rest of us are included in God's grace and mercy. But get this. It doesn't say, for I have done it. It doesn't say, for we have done it. It says, for he has done it. Men and women, if you're needing a word of hope in your life, you don't have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You don't have to figure out a way to get smarter or work harder. What you have to do is fully throw yourself on the mercy and grace of God because he is the one who has the power to transform your life and my life from the inside out. Do you believe that this morning? He has done it. See, when you find yourself in difficult circumstances and the whole world seems to be working against you, when you find your own internal conversation to be increasingly negative and unhealthy, when you wonder why God seems absent and even wonder if he even cares about what's going on in your life, remember Psalm 22. Come back to this psalm and read it through from the perspective of King David who struggled with his own faith in God. Read it from the perspective of Jesus who directed his own disciples to return to this psalm as a way of having hope in the midst of a dark circumstances. Remember who God is and because of who God is, who you are. You are eternally loved and a child of the great king. And because you know who God is, you can have faith that he does know your situation. Though you may not see him at work and he may seem silent, you can put your trust in the fact that he loves you and he's with you. And this will only be a season and he will come through for you as he always has for his people. Our invitation this summer is to be prayerfully reading through these psalms. I believe that God wants to amaze us again with who he is. God wants to meet us right where we are in the midst of the good, the bad, or the ugly, and to demonstrate his love and his grace in our lives. God wants to amaze us with who he is. Are you ready to be amazed? Let's pray. Holy God, we do thank you that you continually, faithfully, and persistently communicate your love and your grace in our lives. 
God, we know that sometimes through seemingly no fault of our own, we struggle to to know where you're at, to find you, to stay connected, and to, to have a sense of your power at work in our lives. And yet, even in those moments, God, you are encouraging us to remember that you are here for us. So God, speak to us again this morning. Help us to know that in spite of life's difficulties, you are the answer for our deepest longings and our greatest need for healing. Help us as a church, God, to come together, to be in your word, and to be amazed at who you are again today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. stand together. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely 